Chapter Three of the Seven Secrets by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Three, The Courtenays. I determined to spend that evening at Richmond Road with open eyes. The house was a large red brick one, modern, gabled, and typically suburban. Mr. Courtney, although a wealthy man with a large estate in Devonshire and extensive properties in Canada, where as a young man he had amassed a large fortune, lived in that London suburb in order to be near his old friends. Besides, his wife was young and objected to being buried in the country. With her husband an invalid she was unable to entertain, therefore she had found the country dull very soon after her marriage and gladly welcomed removal to London, even though they sank their individuality in becoming suburban residents. Short, the prim manservant who admitted me, showed me at once up to his master's room, and I stayed for half an hour with him. He was sitting before the fire in a padded dressing-gown, a rather thick-set figure with grey hair, wan cheeks, and bright eyes. The hand he gave me was chill and bony, yet I saw plainly that he was much better than when I had last seen him. He was up, and that was a distinctly good sign. I examined him, questioned him, and as far as I could make out he was, contrary to my chief's opinion, very much improved. Indeed he spoke quite gaily, offered me a whisky and soda, and made me tell him the stories I had heard an hour earlier at the Savage. The poor old fellow was suffering from that most malignant disease, cancer of the tongue, which had caused him to develop peripheral neuritis. His doctors had recommended an operation, but knowing it to be a very serious one he had declined it, and as he had suffered great pain and inconvenience he had taken to drink heavily. He was a lonely man and I often pitied him. A doctor can very quickly tell whether domestic felicity reigns in a household, and I had long ago seen that with the difference of age between Mrs. Courtney and her husband, he sixty-two, and she only twenty-nine, they had but few ideas in common. That she nursed him tenderly I was well aware, but from her manner I had long ago detected that her devotedness was only assumed in order to humor him, and that she possessed little or no real affection for him. Nor was it much wonder, after all. A smart young woman, fond of society and amusement, is never the kind of wife for a snappy invalid of old Courtney's type. She had married him some five years before, for his money her uncharitable enemy said. Perhaps that was so. In any case it was difficult to believe that a pretty woman of her stamp could ever entertain any genuine affection for a man of his age, and it was most certainly true that whatever bond of sympathy had existed between them at the time of their marriage had now been snapped. Instead of remaining at home of an evening and posing as a dutiful wife as she once had done, she was now in the habit of going up to town to her friends, the Penn Pagets who lived in Brook Street, or the Hennikers in Redcliffe Square, accompanying them to dances and theatres with all the defiance of the covenances allowed nowadays to the married woman. On such occasions, growing each week more frequent, her sister Ethelwyn remained at home to see that Mr. Courtney was properly attended to by the nurse, and exhibited a patience that I could not help but admire. Yes. The more I reflected upon it, the more curious seemed that ill-sorted menage. 
On her marriage Mary Mivart had declared that her new home in Devonshire was deadly dull, and had induced her indulgent husband to allow her sister to come and live with her, and Ethelwyn and her maid had formed part of the household ever since. We doctors, providing we have not a brass plate in lieu of a practice, see some queer things, and being in the confidence of our patients, know of many strange and incomprehensible families. The one at Richmond Road was a case in point. I had gradually seen how young Mrs. Courtney had tired of her wifely duties until, by slow degrees, she had cast off the shackles altogether until she now thought more of her new frocks, smart suppers at the Carlton, first nights and shows in Mayfair that she did of the poor suffering old man whom she had not so long ago vowed to love, honor, and obey. It was to be regretted, but in my position I had no necessity nor inclination to interfere. Even Ethelwyn made no remark, although this sudden breaking forth of her sister must have pained her considerably. When at length I shook hands with my patient, left him in the hands of the nurse, and descended to the drawing-room, I found Ethelwyn awaiting me. She rose and came forward, both her slim white hands outstretched in glad welcome. "'Short told me you were here,' she exclaimed. "'What a long time you have been upstairs. Nothing serious, I hope,' she added, with a touch of anxiety, I thought. "'Nothing at all,' I assured her, walking with her across to the fire and seating myself in the cosy corner while she threw herself upon a low lounge chair and pillowed her dark head upon a big cushion of yellow silk. "'Where is Mary?' I asked. "'Out. She's dining with the Hennikers tonight, I think.' "'And leaves you at home to look after the invalid?' I remarked. "'Oh, I don't mind in the least,' she declared, laughing. "'And the old gentleman, what does he say to her constant absence in the evening?' "'Well, to tell the truth, Ralph, he seldom knows. He usually believes her to be at home, and I never undeceive him. Why should I?' I grunted, for I was not at all well pleased with her connivance at her sister's deceit. The sound that escaped my lips caused her to glance across at me in quick surprise. "'You are displeased, dear,' she said. "'Tell me why. What have I done?' "'I'm not displeased with you,' I declared. "'Only, as you know, I'm not in favor of deception, and especially so in a wife.' She pursed her lips, and I thought her face went a trifle paler. She was silent for a moment, then said, "'I don't see why we should discuss that, Ralph. Mary's actions concern neither of us.' It is not for us to prevent her amusing herself, neither is it our duty to create unpleasantness between husband and wife. I did not reply, but sat looking at her, drinking in her beauty in a long, full draught. How can I describe her? Her form was graceful in every line, her face perfect in its contour, open, finely molded, and with a marvelous complexion, a calm, sweet countenance that reminded one of Raphael's Madonna in Florence indeed almost its counterpart. Her beauty had been remarked everywhere. She had sat to a well-known R.A. for his Academy picture two years before, and the artist had declared her to be one of the most perfect types of English beauty. Was it any wonder, then, that I was in love with her? Was it any wonder that those wonderful dark eyes held me beneath their spell, or those dark locks that I sometimes stroked from off her fair white brow should be to be the most beautiful in all the world? Man is but mortal, and a beautiful woman always enchants. As she sat before me in her evening gown of some flimsy cream stuff 
all frills and furbelows, she seemed perfect in her loveliness. The surroundings suited her to perfection, the old Chippendale and the palms, while the well-shaded electric lamp in its wrought iron stand shed a mellow glow upon her, softening her features and harmonizing the tints of the objects around. From beneath the hem of her skirt a neat ankle, encased in its black silk stocking, was thrust coquettishly forward, and her tiny patent-leather slipper was stretched out to the warmth of the fire. Her pose was, however, restful and natural. She loved luxury and made no secret of it. The hour after dinner was always her hour of laziness, and she usually spent it in that self-same chair, in that self-same position. She was twenty-five, the youngest daughter of old Thomas Mivart, who was squire of Nenaford in Northamptonshire, a well-known hunting man of his day, who had died two years ago leaving a widow, a charming lady who lived alone at the manor. To me it had always been a mystery why the craving for gaiety and amusement had never seized Ethelwyn. She was by far the more beautiful of the pair, the smartest in dress, and the wittier in speech, for possessed of a keen sense of humor she was interesting as well as handsome, the two qualities which are par excellence necessary for a woman to attain social success. She stirred slightly as she broke the silence, and then I detected in her a nervousness which I had not noticed on first entering the room. Sir Bernard Aden was down here yesterday and spent over an hour with the old gentleman. They sent the nurse out of the room and talked together for a long time upon some private business nurse thinks. When Sir Bernard came down he told me in confidence that Mr. Courtney was distinctly weaker. Yes, I said, Sir Bernard told me that, but I must confess that tonight I find a decided improvement in him. He's sitting up quite lively very different to a month ago my well-beloved remarked do you recollect when short went to london in a hansom and brought you down at three in the morning i gave up all hope when i saw him on that occasion i said but he certainly seems to have taken a new lease of life do you think he really has she inquired with an undisguised eagerness which struck me as distinctly curious do you believe that sir bernard's fears are after all ungrounded I looked at her surprised. She had never before evinced such a keen interest in her sister's husband, and I was puzzled. I really can't give an opinion, I responded mechanically, for want of something or other to say. It was curious, that question of hers, very curious. Yet, after all, I was in love, and all lovers are fools in their jealousy. End of chapter 3 Recording by Tom Weiss Tom's audiobooks dot com